Prime members, you can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. When a cemetery disappears, what is lost? History. History. A cemetery is supposed to be your final resting place. Honorable place. Final. In Clearwater, Florida, they're debating how to honor the dead, now entombed beneath a school, Missouri Avenue, and an office complex, an enduring legacy of segregation. Tear down that building as far as I'm concerned. What happens when the main water source for the Southwest begins to run dry? The Colorado River serves 40 million people their drinking water, powers their homes, and irrigates 90% of the nation's winter-farmed greens. To all those demands, add the stress of a 23-year drought, and you have the makings of a crisis. These white bathtub rings, is, is this where the water used to be? Absolutely. Charles Barkley is an NBA Hall of Famer who, in retirement... Yeah, I only think that because they suck. <laughs> ...ended up rebounding into a job that has made him one of the most successful and colorful sports analysts ever. Yes, ever. Why do you suppose people want to listen to you? I think they know that I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be fair. I don't have a hidden agenda. Not many people on TV that you can set out about. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Cecilia Vega. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. 
So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. No one can say when human remains began surfacing in Clearwater, Florida, there was the pipeline crew that churned up bones in a trench. Later, remains of the dead were found at an elementary school, a swimming pool, and an office building. It seemed like something of a curse for what had been done in the name of progress and greed in the old segregated South. As we first reported last fall, the truth of what happened in the 40s and 50s was meant to stay buried, but in a neighborhood called Clearwater Heights, residents with long memories recognized a grave injustice. In the first half of the 20th century, Clearwater Heights was a black neighborhood, thriving, proud, and anchored by faith. Friendship Missionary Baptist Church, Bethany CME, and New Zion Missionary Baptist Church were all located on the Heights. And so is St. Matthew's Baptist, where we heard stories of childhood in the Heights, including those of Diane Stevens and Eleanor Breland. They had businesses, barbershops, uh, there were hairdressers over there. There was a cab company, it only had one cab, but it was still a cab company. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right there on Greenwood, they had different places where even Ray Charles performed there. Also, James Brown performed up there. But even the famous could not stay in a white Clearwater hotel or walk on the beach or swim in the bay. Segregation bound their lives and exiled even their memory to segregated graveyards. How many of you believe you have ancestors in one of these cemeteries? About half of you. The segregated cemeteries of Clearwater were sacred ground until the ground became valuable. In the 1950s, headlines announced that the city of Clearwater made a deal on moving a Negro cemetery. Hundreds of African-American bodies were to be reburied to make way for a swimming pool. A department store was planned for the site of another black cemetery, where again, the bodies were to be moved. But O'Neill Larkin remembers, many years later, his first revelation that something was terribly wrong. It's not an imaginary thing that I've seen. It's what I've seen with my own eyes. Larkin, 83 years old, watched a construction crew in 1984 dig a trench through the site of a relocated black cemetery. But I remember... Um, the parking lot where the engineers, traffic engineer, was cutting the lines through and they cut through two coffins. That was my first knowledge of seeing it because I walked out there and I seen it myself. 
In 2019, the Tampa Bay Times reported many segregated cemeteries in Florida had been essentially paved. It was then that the modern city of Clearwater decided to exhume the truth. People deserve to be treated with respect. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. Rebecca O'Sullivan and Aaron McKendry are archaeologists for a company called Cardno. Cardno was hired by the city to map the desecration. These individuals were loved. They were family members. They were fathers and mothers. And they were interred with love. McKendry and O'Sullivan pushed ground-penetrating radar over a segregated cemetery where this office site stands today. This overlay shows part of their discovery. 328 likely graves, many under the parking lot, perhaps a few under the building, and more there on the right beneath South Missouri Avenue. 550 graves are in the cemetery's record. McKendry and O'Sullivan found evidence of 11 having been moved in the 1950s. So there may be hundreds of bodies still at that site. It's possible. Not far away, the archaeologists probed another former cemetery. Where there's more of what looks like the intact graves. Here, in the 1950s, rather than integrate the white community pool, the city said it would move hundreds of bodies to build a black swimming pool and a black school. But the bodies weren't removed. But the bodies were not removed. Cardinal found the proof last year. It excavated just deep enough to confirm what ground-penetrating radar had suggested. It is their resting place. A prayer was said over the site. Then they planed the sand and sieved a century of time in search of grave markers or tributes. Inevitably, relics included human remains, teeth at the office building site, and bones at the school, which had closed in 2008 because it was obsolete. Are there grave sites underneath the school? All of the information and the data that we collected does indicate that there are additional burials likely below the footprint of that school building. I would be very surprised if they didn't find any bones when they were O'Neill Larkin watched the excavation and imagined the groundbreaking at the school construction site in 1961. To dig the foundation to put this school upon, they had to hit some form of, of remains. It's likely some families could not afford a tombstone, but the archaeologists found graves were marked. Doesn't that look like one of those metal plaque things? This is a marker that would have been used initially after the burial if a stone was not ready to be placed. And in some cases, this is all that would have been used to mark the location of a burial. Aaron McKendry showed us Cardinal's catalog of evidence. It's a mercury dime. It is a mercury dime. This dime, new and 42, was among many tributes left with the dead. We also found this brass wedding ring at approximately the same location and the same depth as the dime. 71. The tributes and disturbed human remains were carefully reburied exactly where they were found, pending a decision on what to do next. 
If you could speak to these people who were interred and then lost, what would you tell them? I hear you. I'm working. I want to recognize the contributions, the life you lived. I recognize and see your humanity. The cheapest land, the worst places. Anthropologist Antoinette Jackson leads the African American Burial Ground Project at the University of South Florida. She's building a database of desecrated cemeteries. Not just Clearwaters nationally, from New York all the way out toward Texas and all the way down to South Florida, where these cemeteries have been built over, uh, erased, marginalized, underfunded, and need support in order to make, uh, make them whole and have this history known. This is not an isolated story, unfortunately. So far, Jackson has listed about 107 effaced black cemeteries nationwide. Underneath the current housing... Under housing, freeways, and the county-owned parking lot of Tropicana Field, home to baseball's Tampa Bay Rays. What we want to bring forward is the memory, the knowledge that these sites were there, these places, these cemeteries, these families were there, lived, died, worked, contributed to our country, to their communities, to our hometowns. Is there evidence of white cemeteries being lost, abandoned, forgotten in the way that these are? There are abandoned cemeteries across the board. There are cemeteries that are not only African-American cemeteries or black cemeteries that have been in some way desecrated. But the issue is more acute with black cemeteries because of issues like slavery, segregation, in which this particular community were legally and intentionally considered lesser than or marginalized by law. When a cemetery disappears, what is lost? Hmm. History. 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 Respect. A great deal of respect yes. because you can no longer visit all right. And bring closure to your own soul. A cemetery is supposed to be your final resting yeah. place. Honorable place. Final. In Clearwater, they're debating how to honor those entombed beneath the school, South Missouri Avenue, and the property of the Frank Crum Company, which bought its headquarters for its staffing business decades after the cemetery was erased. I'm sure that when they purchased that property, they didn't know that there were bodies there. So the head would be Zebby Atkinson is the former head of the Clearwater NAACP. What would you say to someone who might make the argument that disturbing Missouri Avenue, disturbing the Frank Crum Corporation, disturbing the schools, way too much effort at this point in time? I would say that that's not their call. They have no family buried there. Atkinson is helping lead the conversation of what to do now among descendants, businesses, and the city. Some people want to have the bodies moved to a place where they can properly memorialize them. Some of the descendant community wants to let the people stay where they are. Those are the type of things that need to be worked out. How do you work them out? We have to sit and talk about it. I mean, it, there is no easy answer with that. Whether the failure in the last century to move the graves was deceit, incompetence, or indifference, we do not know. But today, Clearwater is spending $291,000 to learn the truth. 
The city told us it is searching for a compromise that will honor the dead. The Frank Crum Company told us it wants to be part of the community's solution. Ideas include monuments, but for a few, like O'Neill Larkin, there's only one route to justice. Tear it down. Tear the building down. Tear it down. Tear down that building, as far as I'm concerned. Tear the school down. Make it a shrine of memories that people can go and use it in a proper way of remembering to treat them with more dignity than what this has been treated. We noticed dignity was treated gently in the white cemeteries of Clearwater. In this one, we found a monument to a Confederate soldier, his grave decorated today with a fresh banner of racism. But when this Confederate sacred ground found itself blocking the road to progress, the small cemetery under those trees in the middle was granted a reverent circular detour. Of those citizens buried in the black cemeteries of Clearwater, we have images of only these, the Reverend Arthur L. Jackson, the Reverend Joseph Hines, and Mac Dixon Sr., who was buried beside his wife Florence, three children, and two grandchildren. We do not know the faces of 500 more who remain forever bound by segregation and lost to the memory of time. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The drought-stricken Colorado River is in critical condition. Almost two years ago, the federal government declared the first-ever shortage on the river, triggering cuts to water supplies in the southwest. Today, the river remains unsustainably low. The Colorado is the lifeblood of the region. It waters some of the country's fastest-growing cities, nourishes some of our most fertile fields, and powers $1.4 trillion in annual economic activity. The river runs more than 1,400 miles from headwaters in the Rockies to its delta in northern Mexico, where it ends in a trickle. Seven states and 30 Native American tribes lie in the Colorado River Basin. As we first reported in 2021, the river has been running dry due to the historically severe drought. The majestic, meandering Colorado River that cut through these red cliffs, carving the Grand Canyon, is a wonder of nature and human ingenuity. 
the Glen Canyon Dam created Lake Powell, and 300 miles downriver, Lake Mead sits behind the Hoover Dam. These reservoirs are now being sucked dry by 40 million different straws. That's the number of people in booming western states who depend on the Colorado to quench their thirst, power their homes, water lawns, and splash in the sun. Its waters irrigate farms that produce 90% of the country's winter greens. To all these demands, add the stress of a 23-year drought, as dry as any period in 1,200 years, and you have a river in crisis. These white bathtub rings, is, is this where the water used to be? Absolutely. Brad Udall, a climate scientist at Colorado State University, went out on Lake Powell with us. So all of this would have been underwater. Yeah. So what does this tell you about what's happening on the Colorado River? Well, it's a signal of the long-term problem we've been seeing since the year 2000, which is climate change is reducing the flows of the Colorado significantly. Lake Powell and Lake Mead, the two biggest reservoirs in the country, were nearly full in 2000. By 2021, they'd fallen to about 30% capacity. The lake's now 155 feet below full. It's dropped something like 50 feet this year. And it's still dropping? Yes. And that's when power generation actually becomes to come into question. It'll drop so low that it may not be able it to generate... It may not be able to generate power. Hydroelectric power. Yeah. Brad Udall has strong connections to the river. As Secretary of the Interior, his uncle, Stuart Udall, opened the Glen Canyon Dam. His father, Congressman Mo Udall, fought to channel river water to Arizona. hundred yards. As a young man, Brad was a Colorado River guide. Today, he analyzes the impact of climate change on water resources. Is the West on a collision course with climate change? In some ways, yes, but we have fully utilized this system. We've over-allocated it, and we now need to think about how to turn some of this back. Because the only lever we control right now in the river is the demand lever. We have no control over the supply. So we have to dial back demand. 70% of Colorado River water goes to agriculture. When the federal government declared the water shortage, it triggered mandatory cutbacks. Pinal County, Arizona got hit hard. Pinal County alone, we're going to be losing 300,000 acre feet of surface water. That's water that would be delivered from Lake Powell, Lake Mead, as part of the Colorado River. 300,000 acre feet is 98 billion gallons of water. Whalen Wirtz farms 500 acres in Pinal County, south of Phoenix. His family has tilled soil here for four generations. It's some of the most productive land in the state. Crops from Pinal County are shipped all over the country. Wurtz grows gourds, cotton, and alfalfa. Profitable but thirsty crops. And his allotment of Colorado River water is being cut by 70%. This is Colorado River water? Yep. Kind of the, the lifeline of our uh, irrigated ag here. This comes straight in from Lake Mead. Correct. This is uh, through hundreds of miles of canal system. It's uh, made its way down here to central Arizona. And what percentage of your 
water is supplied by this canal. It's been close to 50% of the water that we've used to, uh, to farm here. And uh, this next year, it's probably going to drop down to about 20% of the water that we use. That's one-seventh of what he was getting a decade ago. To use less water and make ends meet, Wirtz sold more than 300 acres to a solar farm. He dipped into retirement funds to repair and restart old wells. He laser-leveled his fields to make irrigation more efficient. But it's just not enough in the middle of this drought. No, it's, it, it's not enough. And unfortunately... So, he told us, he'll have to leave 150 acres uncultivated. What you see green here is eventually going to die. I hope we'll have enough water to plant it in the future, but more than likely it's going to stay brown for quite some time. All the water users are going to have to give up something to keep that water in the lake. Amelia Flores is chairwoman of the Colorado River Indian Tribes, a reservation of four tribes a few hours west of Phoenix, with the oldest and largest water rights in Arizona. After being moved to reservations, Southwest tribes got rights to about a quarter of the river's flow. But government red tape and lack of infrastructure have prevented them from using their full allotment. Flores told us until this drought, tribes were never included in water negotiations. Why had you not had a seat at the table before this? Because the tribes have always been overlooked in the policymaking and in, in the law of the river but that day has come to an end. When Western states first divvied up the Colorado River in 1922, and later when the federal government built the Hoover and Glen Canyon dams, the future seemed boundless and manageable. Through negotiation and court battles, states worked out agreements, the law of the river, to split the water equally between upper and lower basin states, the lower states used just about all their allotment, and it's fed their tremendous growth. The upper states have never used their full share. Now they are booming and say they need the water they've been promised. I can see the bathtub rings around here, too. We're trying to keep every drop of water we can into this reservoir for next year's drinking water. Zach Renstrom manages the water system for Washington County in southwest Utah. St. George, the county seat, is one of the fastest-growing metro areas in the U.S. Its population grew 29% this past decade. The state of Utah gets about a quarter of its water from the Colorado. But most of Washington County has only one source, the Virgin River, which fills this reservoir. So right now, we're in the process of implementing really strict conservation measures. And if the cities don't adopt those standards, then we'll be out of water very quickly. What is very quickly? Within the next five to 10 years. So in the midst of this drought, Utah is proposing to build a one to $2 billion pipeline able to bring 27 billion gallons of water a year from dwindling Lake Powell. Utah says it's entitled to the water by law. You're talking about siphoning off water from a lake that's already at a critically low level to help a city grow in the desert. Every state on the Colorado River was allotted so much water and a water budget. And so with their water budget, the state of Utah has decided that it wants to use a portion of its water here in St. George, Utah. 
but it was a budget that was set when water was plentiful. It isn't anymore. What is Utah hoping for? Utah wants the right to do what every other basin state has done. We want to make sure that we have water for our future, for a hotter, drier scenario that's coming up. Building a multi-billion dollar pipeline to pump out more water from an already rapidly declining reservoir simply doesn't make sense in the 21st century. J.B. Hamby is vice president of the board that runs California's Imperial Irrigation District, one of the richest agricultural regions in the country, with the single largest allocation of water on the entire river. There's a lot of urban growth and sprawl occurring in other parts of the Colorado River Basin that's really not necessarily sustainable. Hamby says California's Imperial Valley farms have cut water usage almost 16% since 2003, but points out as the population of St. George, Utah grows, so does its water use. We need to think and rethink about how we grow and if we grow and where we grow. St. George would say that they're not asking for more, they're asking for what they need. I think what we all need to have is a reality check here and recognize that we live in an era of limits right now, and that's not going away anytime soon. In fact, it's only going to get worse. A big part of the problem is the law of the river itself, a hodgepodge of rules and regulations pieced together over the course of a century. For example, after all the litigation and negotiations, the law ends up allocating more water than actually flows down the Colorado. And this, in times of shortage, channels that provide more than a third of Arizona's water must run dry before California is required to cut back. So, so wait a minute. Arizona is being called on to cut its water intake before California has to give up even one drop. Pretty amazing. It can't work in today's world. And it's, in some ways, a little microcosm, right, of this whole law of the river with these systems that have been put in place that just don't work, they can't work. And that's why a rethink's needed. One example of rethinking, the Colorado River Indian tribes agreed to leave fields uncultivated, leaving 48 billion gallons, almost three feet of water, in Lake Mead the state of Arizona agreed to pay them for their losses. My people want to help during this drought. We want to save the river because for centuries, the river has always taken care of us. So now we have to take care of the river. That's what negotiations are all about, right? It may be their ways to conserve and figure out how to get the same goods and services for less water. Let's let ag Grow crops that use less water. Let's figure out how to make cities use water as efficiently as possible. So, I mean, we need some optimism here, right? It's desert ground. But as we saw at this meeting of Pinal County farmers, optimism is in short supply. The farmer who's prepared the whole life, worked the land, farmed the land, is getting the short end of the stick. Farmers here and across the Southwest feed the country but it takes more than two-thirds of the Colorado River to produce the bounty. With lake levels dropping, Arizona farmers like Whalen Wirtz fear their fertile fields could become desert again. You're going to see drastic cuts, a drastic change of what next year has to bring. 
And for my particular family farm, we're doing all that we can to keep it going. But I have a feeling it's just a matter of time before none of this exists. This past January, Whalen Wirtz lost his entire Colorado River allotment, but his farm got a reprieve from an unusually wet winter. The Colorado is still in dire straits. In May, Arizona, California, and Nevada agreed to conserve nearly a trillion gallons of water by the end of 2026, hoping the unprecedented cutback will stabilize the river. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In his Hall of Fame NBA career, Charles Barkley accumulated 12,546 rebounds. But he pulled the ultimate rebound when he finished playing, equaling, maybe even eclipsing, his considerable skills on a basketball court with his singular talent in a TV studio. For the last 23 years, Barkley has been delivering witty, blunt, provocative opinions on every imaginable topic, often imparted with a smile, always imparted with, I don't give a damn if you agree with me, candor. Imagine Mark Twain with a low post game. As we first reported in March, despite his lack of a tongue editor, maybe because of it, Barkley, now 60, seems cancel-proof, granted license to go right up to that midcourt line of acceptability, even to stomp over it sometimes. It's made him more relevant than ever. It's made him, dare we say it, an American treasure. Why do you suppose people want to listen to you? I think they know that I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be fair. I don't have a hidden agenda. Not many people on TV that you can say that about. What's up, everybody? What's up, Josh? You don't have a chance to win every year. That's one of the biggest lies ever told. 60 nights a year, Charles Barkley is the go-to guy on TNT's Inside the NBA. The people are like, you think our team sucks? I'm like, uh, yeah, I only think that because they suck. <laughs> a path-breaking, Emmy-dominating show that makes for riveting, unscripted TV. You big dummy. <laughs> you have fun up there. It's just basketball. <laughs> We're not solving inflation. We didn't just get back from Afghanistan. But you're not a used car salesman either. I mean, if the game's no good, you'll admit it. You'll oh, yeah, it. because the, the fans ain't stupid. They just saw it. If I tell them that was a good game, they're going to be like, what the hell is Charles talking about? You've said sometimes you've even fallen asleep on the set. Oh, I've fallen asleep, man, like just sitting there watching like, oh, man, this is just bad basketball. 
You know, I'm going to raise some hell around here. This is what America has come to expect from Charles Barkley. We have to talk about the Lakers. The Lakers are awful. For Chuck, it's just, I'm going to let it fly. And if you don't like it, tough. Five, four. Ernie Johnson is the longtime host of Inside the NBA. Charles is down there. Well, how many times do you say, where's this going? We'll start a show, and Charles will look at me and say, I got to get something off my chest. (laughs) It could be something that involves uh, world peace or the Brooklyn Nets. Or it could be something, he could be upset that his plumber showed up late (laughs) and he just has to get it off his chest. We got to be serious on this show sometime. But if Barkley brings levity, he also brings gravity. Memphis Grizzly star John Morant was suspended in March after this Instagram Live video showed him flashing a gun at a strip club. Barkley used it to make a broader point. Guns, especially in the black community, the way we killing each other, it's just really unfortunate and sad, and we got the, it's always been a problem, but it seemed like it's gotten worse in the last few years, black-on-black crime and the way we've been killing each other. Barkley may be at his most visible in the studio in Atlanta. But for a fuller sense of the man, head two hours west to his hometown of Leeds, Alabama. I'm telling y'all, I did not name the street after myself. You didn't lobby for Charles Barkley Avenue. I did not lobby for Charles Barkley Avenue. We interviewed Barkley in the home he still keeps in town. It's a few hundred yards from where he grew up. You were angry that your dad left the family when you were one years old. I was very angry. And I was even angrier because he kept saying he was going to send us money. And he didn't do it. Because, like, you know, my mom and grandma were working their behinds off. And the thing that was really bad about it, I was stand by the uh, mailbox like once every three or four months. Waiting for the checks. Yes, but they never came. His indomitable grandma, Johnny May, who helped raise him, still inspires stories when Charles and his buddies get together in Leeds. Shoot, granny was the real deal. Charles spin the image of granny, really. Yeah, he got that mouth. And she had one, too. So we were really poor. We didn't know it at the time. So to make ends meet, she sold alcohol. Where? In the, in the house. At the shot house. Out of your house. Yeah. So people would come over Friday and Saturday and play cards. Everybody starts drinking. Once somebody loses their money, there's going to be a fight. So my grandmother's little old lady, she's walking around with a six-shooter, and she's keeping the peace. I didn't even know any better, John. I thought this was normal stuff. Uh, Yeah. I think it's time for a new floor. (laughs) Barkley also took us to his old junior high gym. It stands, barely, as a symbol of how far he's come. 14, 15-year-old Charles Barkley walking in here. Who's that kid? He's a 5'9", 5'10", big-boned, not fat, (laughs) big-boned, chubby, whatever word you want to use. I'm a 5'10", backup point guard. You remember specific plays and shots from playing here? Tie game, we got you on the wing. Well, first of all, it's a tie game. I'm not going to be in the game. Let's get that out out the way. A six-inch growth spurt helped turn Barkley into a high school basketball star. But his formative teenage experience came at the school football stadium. Wow. This is where he stood alone, at a distance, watching his classmates graduate. I flunked Spanish, so I didn't graduate. 
I was at home all by myself, devastated. And I drove around the backside here, and I stood here for two hours and watched the graduation. And I cried the whole time. Even now, it's kind of hit me in, a, in the heart a little bit. Man, what a traumatic night that was. You remember the name of the teacher? Miss Gomez, I'll never forget that. And Miss Gomez, when I go back and think, was one of the sweetest, kindest people I'd ever met in my life. But in that moment, I was so mad. Because, you know, I wanted to throw my head in the air, too. He graduated thanks to summer school. At Auburn, he was a star, yes, for his skills, but also for his heroic appetite. He embraced his nickname, the Round Mound of Rebound. Drafted in 1984, he became a charismatic NBA star for the Philadelphia 76ers. He's the shortest man ever to lead the NBA in rebounding, proof that for all Barkley's yucks, he played with fury. I was playing to stick it to my dad, Miss Gomez, and some of the kids who had made fun of me, uh, instead of just wanting to be great at basketball. What's firing up this furnace is the anger you have for your Spanish teacher that flunked you? Yes. And your dad? Yes, 100%. What caused you to flush out this anger and get motivated for a different reason? The spin incident in New Jersey. In 1991, he spat at a heckler and inadvertently hit a young girl. He calls it the low point of his career. I got suspended, rightfully so. I was sitting in my hotel room, and I was like, you are the biggest loser in the world. I, I remember saying, this is it tonight. Meaning what? I am only going to play basketball because I'm great at it and I love to play. I'm getting all the dirt off my shoulders. Mr. Gomez, bye. Dad, bye. That was really the turning point for me. Barkley was the NBA's MVP in 1993 for the Phoenix Suns. And then, months after retiring in 2000, he embarked on a broadcasting career. Number one, there's no dominant team. Full disclosure, you may have seen him on this network working March Madness. What do you make of the college game today? It's a travesty and a disgrace. I'm so mad now how we can mess up something that's so beautiful. How do we mess it up? We can't pay all these players. Translation, Barkley hates the new Wild West of college sports, where players go to the schools that can bid the highest. In the next three to five years, we're going to have 25 schools that's going to dominate the sports because they can afford players. And these schools who can't afford or won't pay players are going to be irrelevant. Almost a quarter century since Barkley last played. And now, for my opinion... His opinions, free of varnish, still matter. Is Kevin Durant a great, great player? If you ain't driving the bus, don't walk around and tell about you a champion. His takes don't always go over well. Kevin Durant, a perennial all-star, once said of Barkley, I don't know why they still ask for this idiot's opinion. Kevin Durant. He's very sensitive, great player. He's part of that generation who think he can't be criticized. He's never looked in the mirror and says, man, was that a fair criticism? We're in agreement today's players are a little more sensitive to criticism than your That would be an understatement. 
Today's players take offense, but so have players from your generation. It's been, been a while since you and Michael Jordan spoke. Michael disagreed with something I said, and he broke off the friendship. Born three days apart, Barkley and Jordan were once the best of friends. But as Jordan struggled as owner of the Charlotte Hornets, Barkley minced no words. And what I said, I think that he don't have enough people around him going to tell him no. And he got really offended, and we haven't spoken. But, John, I really, I'm going to do my job. Because I have zero credibility if I criticize other people in the same boat and not criticize my best friend. Even if you have nothing to apologize for, you think of just picking up the phone and trying to repair this thing with Michael? I got an ego too, John. <laughs> you can't be great at something. like you, That doesn't get you right to be a jerk. You, you think you'll resolve this eventually? He got my number. If you really want to get Barkley going on disappointment, ask him about his daughter Christiana's basketball skills. Your daughter's not a basketball player. That was, that was brutal. She was six feet tall from, from birth. <laughs> I'm going to have the best female basketball player in the world. I can't wait till she's old enough. I'm going to teach her everything. And then we start playing, and I'm sitting in the stands, and I'm saying to myself, oh, man, she is not aggressive at all. <laughs> so I ask her one day, I says, you don't like basketball, do you? She's oh, Dad, I hate basketball. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and it took me a little while to get over that. Real, said, ser- you're being serious now. Yeah, but she's a great person and a straight-A student, so I had to brag about that. I guarantee that makes you feel every bit as good as her hitting a game-winning jumper. Not quite, but <laughs> it's close enough. Hi, Dad. Christiana, now 34, recently had a son, Henry. The new grandpa says he's never felt joy like this. When we arrived, he broke out this video. It is by far and away the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Lives up to the hype. It lives up to the hype. I want to spend time with him because I'm not morbid. I'm not upset. I'm on the back nine. I hope I'm on hold 10 or 11, but you never know. I could be on 17 and 18. So I want to spend as much time with him as possible. And then when he get older, I want him to Google me. Google me, kid. Yeah, yeah. Do you know who I am? I hope he does some research on me. I'll be long gone, but I would like him to know that I accomplished some things in my life. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure. 
how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Pelley. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Some puzzles are hard to solve. Others are hard to prove. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Access episodes early and ad-free with 48 Hours Plus on Apple Podcasts. Don't miss true crime anytime you want, anywhere you go with the 48 Hours Podcast. Real crimes. Like a John Grisham novel come to life. Real lives. He pointed a gun to me and said, this is the day you die. And he shot me. Real justice. There's some questions that have to be asked and need to be answered. I'm an innocent man and I hope the whole world can see it now. Catch the latest episodes of 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts.